Father, we turn our hearts to you, turn our eyes to you this morning. We look to you, our King, our Savior. We love you, Lord. All right, let's sing together. A thousand times I've failed So your mercy remains Or should I stumble again So I'm caught in your grace Everlasting your life
Father, we uh, pray that your Holy Spirit, your gift to us, would literally fill us, Lord, head to toe, consume us. The prophet Elijah said that if he were to keep his mouth shut and allow his word to, or allow your word to just dwell in him, it would burn his, his insides up. He needed to open his mouth. I feel that too this morning. Just need to open our mouths and give you glory and honor that you deserve. Lord, thank you. We just, uh, we give you this next hour, Lord, and just ask that you come and move mightily among us, Lord. That you meet our pain, you meet our anxiety, our hurt, that you meet our joy, our excitement, our anticipation, you meet it all. And be, be sovereign over it all, be God over it all. We're here for you today, because we love you pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys uh, say hi to some people around you, and then Steve will bring it back in here in a second. As Will mentioned, my name's Steve Van Poulin, and uh, it's good to have the gift of being with family this morning. Um, that song actually wrecked me a little bit. I, uh, that part about, I give you control, really thinking about that. I've been thinking and praying a lot about that recently. Just what does it look like to give God control? So I'm not going to preach a sermon on that because that's not my role here this morning, but... Maybe you're in the same spot I am, and I just want to invite you as you worship today to think about what it looks like to, what does it look like to give up control? What does it look like to give God the control of your life and be led by him? Um, often think a lot about whether I'm about his kingdom or about my own on a regular basis. So just me being a little raw, that's something that I struggle with, but that's not why I'm up here this morning. Uh, I'm up here just to give you a couple of things as we anticipate the new year and everything that God has done as we look back on 2019 and consider what he's going to do in our midst in 2020. Um, you know, there's going to be no end to opportunities for us to become more like family together. And so a couple of things I just want to start drawing your attention towards. Uh, we have seen an amazing thing that God's done in uh, exploding house churches within Crossroads. Um, 
I think right now, Brian, and he could speak to it if he wants to, estimate that you know, somewhere between five to 700 of us are involved now within house church communities. And there are 40 or 50, I think, that are up and running and apparently some that consider themselves incognito and kind of under the radar, which is great. We love all flavors of house church. But uh, we've been doing this thing on a regular basis of just getting together, talking and praying about what that looks like, what God might be leading you into as far as these small expressions of church. And so there's an orientation coming up in January that might want to think about. And uh, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about this last year is um, oftentimes there are and maybe you know this, many of you know a lot of the individuals that work behind the scenes as a part of our staff, part of the leadership at Crossroads, but we don't always do a great job of uh, letting you know who those people are and how they could serve you. So uh, we want to make a concerted effort towards that in January. So each week, uh, each weekend during January, we're going to introduce a different part of our team. And we're going to culminate with this uh, family meeting. We haven't had one actually in a couple years Uh, It's going to be on a Wednesday night. It's going to be on January 29. And so you'll hear more about that over the next couple of weeks. But I wanted to try to get it on your calendar and on your mind sooner than later. And it's just going to be a great opportunity to talk about some things that we don't always invest a lot of time on Sunday mornings to talk about. And then also going to provide a great opportunity just to kind of Q&A and talk as a body about some of the things that God's leading us into. So that's coming up on January 29. Will, that's all I got, so take it away. Thanks, man. All right, well, let's, uh, let's just stand back up. We're going to go right back into worship here. I don't know. It might just be me. You know, we do this kind of every weekend, but I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to sing with you guys. Count it a privilege to be here and worship the Lord with you guys. So take it, Nate. Listen, you can have it all. Yeah, you can have it all. life and breathe on this heart that is now yours oh the joy
prays for the church of Ephesus that the eyes of their heart might be opened that they might see how good you are and it's my prayer the same as this morning God that you would open the eyes of our heart as we worship as we open your word that we could see your goodness Lord and in turn give you glory surrender more of our lives to you let us see your goodness in this city. Let us see your goodness in our, our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, God. Where there's darkness, let us see your goodness enter in and bring light, Lord. Thank you for your word. Just honestly, just say thank you that we can know you that way. We pray that you speak to us this morning through your text. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys can have a seat. Hello, my name is, that's loud. That was loud. That was a little aggressive. That was, I was projecting. Yeah. Yeah. 
My name is Brian Medallia, and I serve as the Community Life Pastor. And uh, I need to tell you something that's been happening. I've been having a nightmare. And that nightmare has to do with the setup of the stage. And what I'm dreaming, or my nightmare, is that I'm going around the stage, and I fall off. I break an ankle, and you guys start saying, suck it up, get up there, get up there. So, I will make a round once maybe, but I'm going to stay this way for, for a bit. Uh, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can continue to worship as we get into your word. Um, I pray that you would be glorified through this time. I pray that, um, yeah, I pray that you'd be glorified. I pray this in Christ's name, Amen. Matt Kinney is one of the uh, pastors at Crossroads who works with men's ministry and some counseling, and I have him come in at House Church Orientation, and what he does is he's talking about how do you share your story with other Christians, and what he says is there are two words in the Greek for time. One is chronos. Chronos is easy. We have our watch. It's what we keep time by. It's uh, December 29th. The other is kairos. Kairos is special because it denotes a special event or time or opportunity. So as an example, we just went through the incarnation, Jesus being born. That it was a Kairos moment. September 29th, 1990, that was the day I got married to Kimberly, Kairos. One of the primary Kairos moments in all of scripture is the Passover. What I wanna do it's three things as we look in the text. One is to talk about the importance of the Passover to the Israelites captive in Egypt. Second, talk about Passover at the time of Jesus. And third, look at communion in the context of being about Passover. And at the end, we are going to take communion together. That's the application of our time together. First of all, with the Israelites. Uh, we know that Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, goes to Egypt. We know all that happens to him. He becomes second in command. Jacob, his sons, their wives, children, all come to Egypt, 70 of them. And they settle in the land of Goshen. Then we get into Exodus, and it talks about a pharaoh who did not remember Joseph came to power. And something terrified him. It was the Israelites. They were multiplying. And there were so many of them that he said, if a foreign army comes, they may side with them, and we are going to be destroyed. Let's enslave them. Let's have them build our cities. Let's have them build the pyramids. Let's have them be slave labor. And that's what happened. But in Genesis 12, God told Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And guess what? They kept growing. Then he said, I have a, a, an idea. Midwives. When the Hebrew children are born, take the boys and slay them right there. Kill them. That didn't work. These midwives feared God. Then we come to Pharaoh saying, this is going to do it. Every newborn boy must be thrown in the Nile and drowned. This will get what I want done. Then we have Moses, right? 
his parents, Levite parents, uh, they have an opportunity, he's three months old, they put him in this basket, they put him in the Nile. He providentially, I'd say, by God's hand, Pharaoh's daughter is there. She takes him in. She raises him. I'm sure, best education, he is Pharaoh's grandson. But something is really unusual about that. He goes and he looks at the Hebrews, and he refers to them as his people, and he sees them being oppressed. And he jumps in, there's a fight. Egyptian and Hebrew. Kills the, Hebrew, or kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Next day, sees two Hebrews fighting. Says, this is it, what are you doing? And the one who started the fight says, what are you gonna do, are you gonna kill me? Like you killed that Egyptian? Moses finds, or Pharaoh finds out that he had killed an Egyptian and he puts a price tag on his head and Moses flees. Goes to Midian, Jethro's a priest, marries his daughter, Zipporah, has a son, Gershom, continues as a shepherd for many years. Then he comes to Mount Horeb, which is called the Mountain of God, and he sees a bush burning but not being consumed. And he goes forward, and he hears his name, Moses. Moses, yes, take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. Then we start this conversation that Moses has with God. He tells him, I have heard my people in Egypt wail and groan because they are under slavery. They're looking for someone to deliver them. They cannot help themselves. They will forever be slaved unless I send someone, and I've decided to send you, Moses. I want you to go to the elders of the Israelites, gather them together, then I want you to tell them the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he has come to save us. And Moses and his brother Aaron are going to perform these miracles, and eventually Pharaoh will let them go. He says, wait. And he starts, he starts to, to kind of backpedal. He says, who am I gonna say sent me? What's your name? And you have the famous I am that I am. Literally saying, I am the God of the past, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of now, the present, and I'm with you now, and I am the God of the future when the Israelites are freed from their captivity. And he also says, my personal name is Yahweh. So, he ends up going to Egypt. Both him and Aaron, they meet with the elders of the Israelites, they share what's happened. God told them, use three signs to convince them, the staff to a snake, your hand, leprous, as it comes out from your cloak, and then it's fully healed, and then I want to take water from the Nile and turn it into blood. And it doesn't just say that the Israelite elders believed him, they actually worshiped God. 
finally God has come to save us. Finally, he has come to deliver us. But we know what happens. Pharaoh has Moses and Aaron come before him, and they say, look, our God, the God of the Hebrews, the Israelites, is saying, let my people go that they may worship me in the desert. Pharaoh knows at least 40 plus gods within Egypt. He has conquered so many countries and so many of their gods that he's not intimidated at all. In fact, he is the God King. So he's thinking, can you imagine, I mean, being Pharaoh and having someone come to you and say, oh, by the way, I want to release, you know, 600,000 men who are slaves to me, slave labor, let them go in the desert, let them worship. No, he says, there's no way that's going to happen. Your God is not as strong as, as me and strong as my God's. Then what happens is the Pharaoh puts, you know, bricks without straw, and the people groan to Moses and Aaron, why have you done this? We're not going to be delivered. Now our labors are even greater. And Moses goes to God and says, why have you done this? You will not deliver your people. Then we have these plagues that start to take place. The first few plagues, it says the magicians of Egypt, the sorcerers, were actually able to do these. The first sign, the staff to a snake, they could do that. Nile River to blood, they did that. The plague of frogs, they did that. Then it comes to the gnats. And the magicians cannot do that miracle. And at that point, they tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This God is stronger than our gods. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. And we have these interactions that deal with God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, which we're not going to go into, but guess what? God did harden his heart, and he did harden his own heart. Then God starts to make a distinction between the Israelites and Goshen and the Egyptians. A number of plagues happen there. Flies all throughout Egypt, not in Goshen. Cattle dying, not in Goshen. Hail, not in Goshen with the Israelites. Then there are three days of darkness. The Egyptians, it describes it as a darkness that you can feel. It's like being in a cave. In the land of Goshen, for three days, complete light. You'd think after this point, okay, is Pharaoh going to break down? And we know the answer, he doesn't. He says, you will stay here. These people will be enslaved. And God tells Moses, I have one more plague. And after this plague takes place, Pharaoh will let my people go. So he says, first of all, with this 10th plague, it is to become a new spiritual month in, uh, within the Israelites. It's called Abib, the first month. It's 
the first month of a holy festival that the Israelites will continue called Passover throughout generations. Okay, special time, the Kairos moment, and this is what's gonna happen. He says, I'm gonna go through Egypt. All the firstborn sons, from Pharaoh's son to the son of the slaves, Egyptian slaves, will die. The Israelites, this is what's going to happen. You're to take all the people. And at this point, we're looking at, it says 600,000 uh, men plus women and children, maybe two million people. He says, this is what I want you to do. Take the elders and take, it's probably 100, 200,000 lambs, one-year lambs without blemish. I want them to take them in at twilight. I want them all to be sacrificed. And I want you to put their blood, their life source, on the doorposts. If you do this, I will save you. So the people, the Israelites had to believe God could do this. And that's exactly as we continue the story. At midnight, the Lord comes through Egypt. He's called the destroyer. Every firstborn in Egypt dies. Every firstborn son. And there is a wailing and a groaning that is so strong, it reminds the Israelites of the groaning and the wailing that they had while they were in slavery. What happens next? As we understand that because of that lamb, literally death has passed over that description of Passover in the Hebrew literally means a mother bird taking care of her young. So death has passed over. They have been redeemed. They are going to be set free, and that's exactly what happens. Pharaoh calls in Moses and Aaron and says, get out of here, all your people. Men, women, your animals, I want you gone. Go into the desert, that's it. And that's exactly what the Israelites do. They've gone from complete slavery to freedom as God's people. And the crux of all that, in the linchpin, is the Passover lamb. And then we know what happens. We, he, God continues to save the Israelites with the Red Sea, the destruction of all of Egypt's armies, the law, the kings, and then David is told, you will have a descendant who will have a kingdom that will last forever. Then you have the exiles, northern tribes, southern tribes. Then you have the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Christ, who we just celebrated. Jesus has his ministry. They're preaching, they're healing, and at the time of Jesus, as the Passover, again, has been celebrated over a millennia, the population of Jerusalem 
literally goes from 50,000 people. Josephus, who's a first century um, Jewish historian, says it, it, it swelled the city to three million people. And even if that is grossly exaggerated, even if it went from 500 to a million to two million people, there were so many people in Israel celebrating the Passover. It was again in the month of Abib, first month. The 10th day they were to take a one-year-old lamb without blemish into their home, into their family. They personally took care of this lamb. And on the 14th day, all the families would take their lamb to the temple, to the priest, and the priest would slaughter the lamb spill the blood at the bottom of the altar, give them the meat to take home. Then they would have that meal, that meal with the lamb that they would eat as a family. They had unleavened bread. As we remember, God said, do not make bread with yeast because you're gonna flee so quickly from the Egyptians, they're gonna let you go, don't do that. So they have unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is also called the bread of affliction because it reminds them of their slavery in Egypt before they were freed. There are four cups of wine. All come from Exodus 6, 6, and 7. First one, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Second one, I will free you for being slaves to them. The third one, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. The fourth is I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. They recited the Passover story. There were actually groups of Israelites that thought on the Passover, that's when the Messiah will come. Not to save us from the Egyptians, but to save us from the Romans. That's their idea of the Messiah. Then we come to Jesus, the last Passover he'll have with his disciples. He's already had at least two Passovers with them. There's no reason to think that this will be any different. He sits down, he has the Passover. First of all, the lamb slaughtered, they took the meat back, they ate the meat, and they went to the upper room which is very common. Again, if you have one million people from 50,000, there are rooms where families would gather. Jesus gathered with his disciples. The Passover story is recited, how death had passed over them, how they were redeemed, a free people. But then you have something extremely unusual. And just imagine if you were one of the disciples, your rabbi, your teacher, is just going through Passover, which is extremely significant for all the Israelites. But he says this. He took the unleavened bread, the matzah, again, the bread of affliction, and he said, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What did he mean? The unleavened bread, the bread of affliction is, is my body. Then he takes the cup and it makes sense. This is, 
was reading on this and thinking through this. The third cup was a cup of redemption. Takes that cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. What do the disciples make of this? Then, of course, we know what happens. He is betrayed by Judas. He is denied by Peter. All these things are going to take place. What I want to do before we get to, as Christians, how does Passover relate to communion, which we're going to have today, let's talk about biblically and theologically where people are. This is what I mean by that. The scriptures describe all of us before we come to Christ as slaves to sin, bringing chaos to our lives. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter three. We do not have the covenant relationship with God. Eternal separation, that is what's promised. Now, for me, I'm a people pleaser and I love the gospel and the good news. I want to tell people the good news, relationship with Christ and everything. But it starts with very, very, very bad news. The relationship that you're meant to have with God is not there. And you will be punished for that here in this life in not knowing God, that Yahweh, not knowing Christ, and with eternal separation from God and punishment. The second thing to realize is that Jesus is the Passover lamb. John 129, look the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And if Jesus is our Passover lamb, then the Israelites would remember, and we are to remember what happened in Egypt where that lamb was slain and the blood put on the doorpost. Christ would be slain and his blood would be put on the wooden cross at crucifixion. But, not but, and, because of Christ's sacrifice, death can pass over us. God's judgment for sin can pass over us. We can be a new, redeemed, gone from slavery, slavery to freedom in Christ. That's an amazing, amazing, amazing truth. And I just wanted, sometimes for me, I've been a Christian for almost 35 years, came to Christ through young life, but um, sometimes it's hard for me to, to remember what was that, what did I feel? feel like? And what, the, what was I going through when I first came to Christ? And I want to share just a short story. When I was a pastor back in Chicago, I would do baptisms, met Joe. Now Joe, uh, Joe's about 6'2", 6'3", about 230 pounds, cut like a V. Just think of me and then go opposite way. Cut like a V. <laughs> Joe had, I can't make this up, he had a gold chain around his neck, gold watch, and he comes in a white, tight t-shirt to get baptized. 
And I'm like, Joe, you might want to take off your watch. And he's like, it's waterproof. I said, okay. I'm not going to argue with you. We get into the tank, and he shares his story. And he says, I came to the Good Friday service with my girlfriend, Nancy, because she's a Christian. I'm not interested in any of this religion, but I still go with her. And there's a cross up there. And they're encouraging people to put your name on a piece of paper and to nail that to the cross, signifying Christ is our Passover lamb as a means of forgiveness. Joe starts to get extremely uncomfortable. He says, I got up to leave. And this elderly woman, very small, elderly woman, stopped him and said, please don't go. God has something you need to hear. Joe hears the gospel. He hears how Jesus took his sin upon him as the Passover lamb. I am now ready to baptize him. I'm extremely uh, fearful that I'm not going to be able to get this guy back out of the water, but I go, (laughs) you know, I dunk him down, I pull him up. And Joe is so excited, he goes, woo, just like this. Then he looks over at me, and he takes the top of my head, and he bends it close to him, and he kisses the top of my head. So this guy was excited. That was the kind of, I mean, he experienced redemption. But this is not about you and I, first and foremost, having that personal relationship with Christ. That is totally, totally, totally necessary. But there's also something that is even, not even more amazing, but very amazing, and that is that we are redeemed as a people. We had 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 that Rod gave us as a a verse about a year and a half ago. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If you are a follower of Jesus, collectively, we talk about being a family, collectively, we are a kingdom of priests. We are in the kingdom of God. And we have the opportunity to take the chaos that people have in their lives and in this world and bring shalom, bring peace through Christ. That's an amazing truth. One of the, the other thing, I I just find this amazing. Um, Jesus is always and will always be the Passover lamb. And this is what I mean by that. In Revelation, John uses the name lamb for Jesus 21 times. Jesus is referred to the lamb all throughout the book. The lamb of God, the lamb, the lamb. Then you have a scene in Revelation chapter five. And there is God Almighty, God the Father on his throne, sitting down as sovereign, and he holds open a scroll, or he holds a scroll. It's sealed with seven seals. At that time, what they would understand that is literally being kind of a last will and testament. When you did your will, you'd have seven seals, seven individuals that would witness it. After you died, the uh, one person that you had put forward, they would open those seals up and get your last will and testament. 
God is literally saying, history is in my hands, but it won't go forward unless someone is worthy to come to take the scroll and open it. And John starts to cry, and he starts to weep, because no one's worthy to do that. And then one of the elders comes to him and says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy to open the seals and take the scroll. When you're thinking the lion of the tribe of Judah, we're talking about David's line. This is amazing. This is powerful. This is the lion. And it says that John saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, but was alive. And this lamb went, took the scroll, and was ready to open the seals. And this is what we have. 24 elders and four living creatures fall down before the lamb, and they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Genesis 12, given to Abraham, is being fulfilled. You will bless all nations. The blessing of all nations is the gospel Paul talks about in Galatians 3. We know that that is gonna happen. We know it's already happening. People from all nations are coming to faith in Christ. The church is alive. It will continue to grow. What I want for us to, to do now is to take this, this, this understanding or take this framework of Passover and look at it specifically by taking communion. And the first thing, and I want you to, <clears throat> I don't want this to be something where you, oh, communion, get up, take it, uh, here, here's the bread, here's a cup, go sit down. I want us to reflect on, again, this Passover. And there's a few questions or a few things I want us to look at. One, the unleavened bread or the matzah, called the bread of affliction. Remember when Jesus broke this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Think of the afflictions that Jesus went through. Trade in front of the Sanhedrin, sent to Caesar or sent to Pilate, went to Herod, flogged by the Romans. That's the affliction that he went through. The body of Christ. Then he took the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you think of me. Amen. Again, think about it as that third cup of redemption. The blood of the Passover lamb that has delivered us from death, eternal death, to eternal life. New covenant in his blood. We have a new promise and a new relationship with Christ. 
we have the advantage, unlike the first disciples taking that last Passover, we are on the other side of the cross. And we were able to look and say, he went through the suffering, his blood was shed on the cross, but because of that, we are delivered. We are people of God. We're a holy nation. Think about that, think about the privilege of that, and the, the incredible cost that it took to get us there. Jesus had to die, but he was resurrected. The other thing is, I'd like you to think of one area in your life where you'd say, Lord, deliver me, deliver me from this. It may be a relationship that's strained. It may be a pattern, lifestyle. I don't know what that is. And you don't need to, you don't need to tell anyone else. But I want you to think about, okay, you died for me. I'm yours, Jesus. What have you put on my heart that I want to lay out to you? For me, uh, just went through the holidays, just went through Christmas, of course. Uh, mine is just a critical spirit with my family. It is so easy for me to talk about them in a way that does not value them, does not give them uh, God the glory. That's my area. Again, all of you have an area. I'm gonna ask the servers to come up now Again, I want you to just be able to take some time, think about this, think about the bread, think about the cup, think about your deliverance, think about that area that you wanna just continue to give over to Christ. We have communion tables there, there, and then all around the stage. And when you're ready, please come and take communion. Nothing to me now. And I- 
Upon 
Yes. Yeah.